0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. This is the show that brings together leading minds in energy to discuss the latest challenges and trends transforming and modernizing the utility industry of the future. And a quick thank you to Wes Moreau, our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. I'm Jason Price, Energy Central Podcast host and director with West Monroe, coming to you from New York City. And once again, I'm joined by Matt Chester, Energy Central Podcast producer and community manager, dialed in from Orlando, Florida. Matt, this week on the podcast, we're exploring the world of virtual power plants. While virtual power plants or VPPs may sound like some futuristic idea, perhaps something taking place in the metaverse. The reality is that VPPs are already being implemented across the grid. Can you provide a quick summary of what a VPP is and why it's a topic we're hearing a lot about today? Definitely. So virtual power plants, it can mean a couple of different things. There's not a set definition, but the gist of it all is is that a virtual power plant represents a collection of distributed energy resources, whether that's generation from solar panels stored energy in a battery, on-demand response from smart thermostats and other appliances or otherwise. These virtual power plants use digital technologies to keep power supplies stable between supply and demand and can in aggregate provide resources of the same scale as a centralized baseload power plant. And this setup allows for more clean energy on the grid, reliability of resources, optimization between supply and demand, and more, while those who allow their assets to be part of such VPPs receive compensation for their troubles. Thanks for that, Matt. The ability of advancing digital technologies to advance the opportunities for aggregate control of VPPs is an exciting prospect across the U.S. grid. But in many ways, standing up such arrangements requires support from a technical and, importantly, a financial perspective. But because of the immense benefits that can bring to the U.S. power consumers, there is great interest in expanding them and seeing how grid reliability, affordability, and efficiency can be optimized. That's why the Department of Energy has been paying close attention to VPPs and specifically the advancement of virtual power plants has been one of the key areas of focus of the DOE's Loan Programs Office. To help kickstart VPPs in the United States, the Loan Programs Office leads the engagement with today's guest, which is David Nemso. David is the Senior Advisor on Virtual Power plants for the Loan Programs Office, bringing with him the experience informed by a career in smart grid technology, utility regulation, and utility analytics. Since early 2022, he's been leading the efforts behind the Loan Programs Office's game-changing VPP initiatives. So we're excited to hear more about those from him today. So with that, let's bring him in. David Nemso, welcome to today's episode of the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast.
1: Great. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here.
0: David, Matt gave us a quick overview of what a virtual power plant is in the introduction, but I know discussions around VPPs often center on the exact definitions and boundaries that different people draw around them. So... If someone came to you with no knowledge of VPPs, what's your 30 second pitch for what a VPP is and why they are necessary?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks, Jason. Look, a virtual power plane is really just that it is a a collection, an aggregation of clean distributed energy resources. The, The list Brad gave solar and storage, energy efficiency, electric vehicle charging. But instead of just letting a thousand flowers bloom, which is nice sometimes, They act like a power plant and they are utility-grade. And to do that, we have to do two things. It has to be large enough. They have to be aggregated. So we're talking about enough megawattage, tens, hundreds, thousand or more megawatts, so that it's utility scale, but also utility-grade, that they're controllable, they're reliable. Sometimes they're even dispatchable. And that's what makes them uh, act like a power plant, but they're virtual. So they don't have to be in one place. They don't have to be a singular technology. They can be any or all of the above technologies. So that's really what they are. They're a power plant that is built and then connected virtually. Why are they important? Because all the reasons why our energy problems are so vexing. Climate is first and foremost. We need to have more clean resources and to have them sooner, and ones that are reliable and affordable. So the why is the same why to most of our energy issues. It's a great new solution that we're pursuing here at the Loan Programs Office.
0: That's very helpful to our listeners and and for me as well. So thank you for that expanded definition. So BPPs seem to be growing at this moment because of the intersection in the availability of the digital technology necessary, the rise of distributed energy resources, and the various needs of the grid that VPPs can fill. So what do you think is the main driving force behind the acceleration? What's the key factors that's unlocked them at this moment in time?
1: Yeah, you asked the question in the singular, I'm going to answer in the plural. I think it's really the mix of two major things going on. One, I just discussed, and that is the clean energy revolution. The need to have energy solutions, particularly in the power sector as our economy becomes more of reliant upon electric-based solutions that are clean and that aren't contributing to global climate change. And again, that could be a mix of megawatts and megawatts of demand side and distributed supply side. So that's number one, is to solve our climate problems and other in a reliable, affordable way. We need large-scale utility-grade clean energy resources. But the other part where you set me up beautifully for is the smartness revolution. And there's a lot of mixes to that. Of course, we're all familiar with big data. It is big data, but it's not just big data. We're talking about algorithms that are more sophisticated, understanding how people behave in their energy patterns. We're talking about microprocessors that keep getting more powerful and smaller. We're talking about remote sensing and communications. So the smartness and the connectedness revolution is working out perfectly, and that's what allows us to do it in a virtual fashion, not just the uh, familiar central station version. Those are the two things together, cleanness and smartness that are bringing us the virtual power plants.
0: And, David, you come from the Loan Programs Office, uh, focusing on the VPPs, and the Loan Program Office is just one of many wings of the Department of Energy. So before we go further into, you know, your specific office and its role in VPPs, can you give our listeners a little more familiarity of what the various offices of the DOE and, and of course, then go into the loan program office? What was it created for and what successes have you seen thus far?
1: Yeah, sure. The Department of Energy uh, was created Boy, 45 years ago during the uh, OPEC oil embargo, and it's evolved very considerably since then. Within the Department of Energy are the 17 national laboratories. These are these storied, world-changing institutions from Oak Ridge National Lab and Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. National Renewable Energy Lab, and many others that were originally part of the Manhattan Project but have evolved into big science and energy research and development. But we also have a lot of activities that take new technologies, get them not just into the lab, but out of the lab into demonstrations and deployment. Our current secretary, and I'll, I'll say and I'll say again, I'm a civil servant, not a political appointee, so I'm not speaking on behalf of the administration, but I go to a lot of meetings and I read the newspaper and if you hear our secretary, Secretary Jennifer Granholm, she often says our mission these days is threefold, deployment, deployment and deployment. So we're taking that big science, that discovery, that late stage R&D, getting it through demonstration and then we're deploying it. We're going to make clean energy and other smart energy choices business as usual. And that could be in buildings, it is in buildings, it is in vehicles, it's in industry and throughout the economy so that that's what the department does as a whole. Our days are being a oh, a stuffy obweb infested place of doing advanced research is behind us. We do a lot of advanced research, but we're very focused, especially in the past year and a half, on deploying these activities in my office, the loan programs office that I'm in, we're all deployment all the time. we're getting things we're making them bankable. We're building a, as we like to say, a bridge to bankability so that great ideas can be financed by the private sector and built by the private sector. Let me boast a little bit about the successes that we've had at the loan programs office. These aren't projects I personally work on, but the office this summer and the department had two important deals go through. One is called ACES, and it's clean hydrogen, carbon-free hydrogen in Utah that will be used in power plant produce carbon-free electricity, first of its kind, over a $500 million deal that closed this summer, and the other that this summer, Loan Programs Office announced a conditional commitment to a very large project, over $2 billion on electric vehicle batteries, and that's a partnership of Ultium, which is a GM, a brand, and LG Electronics to help produce the next generation of EV batteries for the next generation of EV vehicles. And there's going to be more deals like that in transportation, in power, in clean energy. And LPO is the Loan Programs Office is taking the lead in making those kinds of innovative financing deals work and work for all parties.
0: That's great. That's really exciting. So now take us to the work that the LPO is doing in VPP. What kind of leadership is being shown in this area? What kind of efforts or emphasis is going on? Share your perspective with us on that.
1: Yeah, sure. And we're doing all sorts of things. And, And I will say in our pipeline. And the Loan Programs Office, we're an office that provides leadership, but we also need to be responsive. When somebody wants to get a loan guarantee in clean energy from the federal government, they come to us, to the Loan Programs Office. So we need people to apply. We get the word out. I appreciate you doing the show. People can contact me or the office. You can just look us up on your search engine or go through Energy Central. And we will talk to you about your project. And we provide loans and loan guarantees for qualifying projects. And we will do everything that it takes to get them done. And we got big money. We have over $40 billion. And uh, we'll see how the budget goes in, in the, uh, this fiscal year and beyond. We have billions of dollars to support these projects. But, again, we're different than other government programs that are essential. We're not a regulatory body, but nor are we a grant. Making body, we won't give you a grant of anything. We will lend you money if you qualify, and we give good interest rates and we help you develop your projects. But you know, I have projects. And I'll just stick with the virtual power plants. I have ones in my electronic inbox right now. Some of which want to borrow money directly from the federal government, but others who are borrowing commercial money from regular household names of lenders. So you could walk up and down Wall Street or other financial centers and we provide a guarantee that can lower the cost of capital. So that's where our space is. We need to take care first and foremost of the taxpayers. We need to to be sure that our loans have a reasonable prospect of being repaid. Taxpayers want an investment that pays off, but we don't have to be as conservative as a commercial lender. We can take bigger risks. We can look at technologies more long-term because we have a great expertise in the Department of Energy so we can be more exploratory and more bold than a lot of private lenders will be and we have more data to back up our decisions. But at the same time, we want to make sure we get paid back and that the uh, taxpayers' investment works and it's been working. And a lot of early EV companies came our way, solar companies, and now a lot of EVs and solar are commonplace. So that's our job is to do that. And with virtual power plants, it's a relatively new field. A lot of commercial lenders aren't ready for it yet. They don't know what they are. They don't know what the risks are. They don't know who the players are. They don't know how to know how to separate the wheat from the chaff, the good from the um, the half-baked, and that's the role we're going to play. But when we're done, Jason, we're going to get out of the business, and we will have transformed the market. We will be in a place where the – I'm just going to name names – the Citibanks, the Chases, the Credit Suisse, the Goldman Sachs, I don't care who you want to pick, the savings and loan down the block can make these loans because they will understand the risks and the opportunities. That's our job is to transform the financial marketplace for clean energy.
0: Understood. I want to dig deeper into the VPPs, but first, I just want to clarify the $40 billion you quote, that's not tied to the Biden infrastructure bill. This is separate money outside of it, or is there a relationship between? the two?
1: All of the above. So we've had authority for a number of years. The office, the loan programs office was established in 2005 and on a bipartisan basis. Because we're a loan program, we don't have to spend and don't feel the pressure to spend our money every year. We find good projects that meet our standards. The Vogel nuclear power plant in Georgia, the largest new, well, the largest construction plant in the uh, construction of any kind in the U.S., The first nuclear power plant in a long time has a loan guarantee from us. And same with solar power plants out west and now these uh, distributed ones. So, yeah, there is financial support from the infrastructure bill that we have, but we have it from many other sources. And uh, we use it and we get paid back. The taxpayers have the money back to do something else with it.
0: Okay, fantastic. So can you share a bit of your perspective on the role of the utility DBPs compared to the private sector? PPPs? you know, what is going on here in terms of, like, how they're able to provide to the customer base load? Who's responsible for it? How the financing is being done? Is it truly a competitive relationship? Is it more collaborative? If you could just sort of paint a picture for our listeners around this.
1: Jason, that's a, that's more <laughs> of a religious question than, a, uh, than an analytical question. Look, this is one of the key issues. I've I've been in clean energy my entire career, and luckily for me, we're on radio, so folks can't see my gray hairs. But you know, I've been in private startups in the field. I worked for utilities, for regulatory commissions, for government, in different perspectives. And and you really are onto something important. Here's my answer, and it's it's deliberately flip. What's your relationship with your sibling? Or siblings Is one and their siblings always in a perfect partnership or are they sometimes competitive? So whatever that evokes for you is probably accurate here. I'm of the view, and I think by now we can pretty readily demonstrate it, that we will not be able to solve our energy challenges without both sides of that coin that you laid out. One is new entrants into the field, startups or existing companies but who aren't in the energy space per se. Who are getting into it and others are the incumbent players, which in this case, because we're talking about power plants are utility companies, I think both are necessary and both have a role. At the Loan Programs Office, on one level, we don't have to worry about that in that we're not making these decisions. We're not acquiring resources for the, uh, you know, you pick it, the Cal ISO or PJM or for uh, the National Grid or ComEd. That's somebody else's decision. What we're doing. Is providing financing solutions for those players. And if you came in, if you're an IOU or a muni, and you came in and wanted financial support, we would talk to you and see if we could help you. If you're a startup, we talk. If you're a big player like a Siemens or an ABB or General Electric will talk to you. So we have the luxury of being able to work with any or all of the above, and we'll leave some of those other resource acquisition and final decisions to other players in the, in the power system. Well, let me say it this way. Our job, and we will be successful, is if we can create more affordable, more reliable, clean resources such as virtual power plants that then other parties can make decisions based on their own local needs. We're hoping to create a merit-based world where everybody can compete, including small distributed solutions, not just large central station solutions.
0: I wanna ask you about around the question of performance risk. Who do you think should bear that risk, especially given that there's risk in capacity availability versus, you know, conventional power plants and more? So can you talk a little about that?
1: Yeah, it's a very important question that you ask. and. I will say this. The Loan Programs Office does not have to directly engage, nor do we directly engage, on who bears a different performance risk of different resource options. By that, I mostly mean generation options, but I mean the whole thing, generation, transmission, distribution, and demand side. What we focus on is how to reduce the financial risk, or if you want to call it the financial performance risk. So our job in that large system is to provide data is to provide affordable financing, is to provide technical assistance and technical analysis to lessen financial performance risk so that all players, whether it's federally funded by the taxpayers or privately funded by commercial lenders will see a lower risk going forward for clean solutions than they have in the past. So that's where we focus. But look, others need to make this decision all the time, right? How do we look at different energy resources and power resources and how to consider the balance between uh, different risks and different performances? But we focus on the financial end of that. And so far, so good.
0: It's good to hear. I'm really enjoying this conversation, David, so thank you again for joining us. I only have a couple more questions for you, so I'll, I'll try to keep these uh, easy, hopefully, yeah. easy questions. Uh, you but, know,
1: whenever somebody says it's an easy question, I like I get my flak jacket on. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, it's really about looking ahead, right? Uh, so, what's the end goal you see from the VPP sector? You know, will they end up being a minor complement to centralized power plants, or do you see this growth in something that really is going to surprise us and become, you know, something that uh, will really be standard in the future?
1: Virtual power plants need to do two things to succeed, and this is what they're designed to do, and I'm going to see if they can do it. Number one, they have to be large enough to be utility scale. They have to be measured in hundreds and thousands of megawatts. And don't get me wrong, distributed, non-aggregated solutions are key to our nation's energy future, from rooftop solar to smart thermostats to insulation. But virtual power plants are pulling those together to act like a power plant. So that has to be big enough so that it can play in the world of power plants. And this is the virtual part of it. They have to be controllable enough to act like a power plant And yeah, of course, all including traditional sources, some are more dispatchable than others. An open cycle gas turbine is more dispatchable than a baseload nuclear plant. They have different degrees, but they're controllable. And that's what virtual power plants are. And so that's what they need to be. I think they will be that. I think we're getting there. It's going to be measured in years and not months and quarters. But... We're aggregating up distributed resources in a way we didn't know how to do even a few years ago, thanks to the smartness revolution and the remote communication uh, revolution. And so that's what we need to do, large enough and control enough for clean resources. I think we're going to do it, but that's how we're going to measure success. We're going to measure success if distributed energy resources, again, megawatts or negawatts and storage, the whole mix, if they can participate in in the electric field on a competitive basis. And if they can win the competition, I think it'll be great. If others, central stations, solar or wind beat them, well, that's the nature of competitive resource acquisition. So that's the success we're looking for. We want a merit-based world where meritorious resources can compete.
0: Okay. I'm going to squeeze in another question here. I hope you are uh, get your thinking cap on. So I want to give a shout-out to <laughs> my friends over at NIPA. Uh, They're looking at uh, VPPs, and coincidentally, they don't use VPP as the terminology. They actually refer to it as demand flexibility, and the reason being is that people sometimes get put off or scared by the phrase power plant. So are you also working on maybe coming up with a little more catchy descriptive name to
1: VPP other than VPP? Boy, that's a good one. So that's a loaded question. Now, we're sticking with VPPs for now. You know, we have different audiences and I get where NIPER's going. My previous position at DOE, I led the work on demand flexibility and grid interactive efficient buildings. So I think words do matter. On the other hand, I think our field hasn't quite settled down yet and figured out the right terminology.
0: All right, we'll have to dip into Madison Avenue to come up with perhaps a more catchy phrase. But
1: you know, once upon a time, it was called energy conservation, and then it rightfully changed to energy efficiency because it, it was something different. It was doing more with less, and same with demand flexibility, and that's a key topic that we can use, whether you want to call it demand response or energy efficiency, demand side management. The idea is, is to use the demand side as a function just as productively as the supply side. So I like them all, to be honest with you.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I want to go back to your role in in government, and I would imagine that comes with an assumption that whenever you see a change in administration, that may see you move back into the private sector. So whenever your time at LPO ends up coming to an end, what is the measure of success you're looking at to indicate whether or not you and your team has accomplished its goals?
1: First, let me say I'm a civil servant. I'm not a political appointee, so my job doesn't change uh, with each administration. But it's still, sure, we always look at our performance, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, For me, working on virtual power plants at the Loan Programs Office, it's straightforward. I will be successful personally and professionally if I help along with the office and our leadership, if I help create a world in which collections of distributed energy resources, such as photovoltaics, storage, energy efficiency, demand flexibility, EV charging, if those clean, distributed, affordable resources can be aggregated to a scale and a flexibility to be utility-grade, and if they can do it, using a mix of government resources and private sector resources that will be success that's what i'm trying to do that's what i look at every day that's when my boss and his boss ask me if we're succeeding are we doing that i said earlier in our conversation that our current secretary and the department currently has a focus on deployment our energy problems and our climate challenges are too big for government alone to be part of the solution the role of government here is to certainly create solutions, but the deployment part is to work with others to show them how they work and and how they fail and what to avoid so that others can deploy them too without government participation. So that's how we work. It's a transformative role and that's how we look over our shoulders, look back to see how we're doing. And we've been able to transform a lot that the electric vehicle revolution, energy efficiency, solar, it wouldn't have happened but for the government and the U.S. Department of Energy. That's quite clear. LED light bulbs, there's so much of it.
0: Absolutely. So, David, we're going to give you the last word, but before we do, we have something called the lightning round. This is where we get to pivot to learn more about David Nenso, the person rather than the professional. So we have a series of questions we're going to ask you, and you are to respond with either one word or phrase. Are you ready?
1: Okay, I'm ready.
0: Your preference on pets, dog, cats, or other?
1: All cats, all the time. Favorite D.C. restaurant? Oh, boy. Well, first you should know I'm a pizzatarian, and so I'm going to go with Il Canale in Georgetown, best pizza in D.C.
0: What's your most productive time of the day?
1: My most productive time of the day, that's why I like college, I guess, is the evening after the sunset and before going to sleep. That's my sweet spot. Who are your role models? My role models, well, beyond my father and my mother, who are marvelous people, you know, I'm going to say this. I'm going to tell you somebody I greatly admire. He's not a role model. Edmund Hillary, beekeeper from New Zealand who first summited Everest with Tenzing Norgay, a Sherpa, and he never. there's not a single picture in the world of Edmund Hillary alone on Everest. They're always with his companion, the Sherpa Tenzing Norgay. He did more than climb mountains. He, uh, he helped change society.
0: What are you most optimistic about?
1: You know, it's hard to be optimistic in this day and age on so many fronts. What am I most optimistic about? It's this. And even with uh, uh, Russia's uh, terrible invasion and unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, I think people are learning to solve or doing a better job of solving our problems without uh, murders, without major wars. And we're so far from there. But compared to the 20th century, this murder century, I'm optimistic that we're learning how to resolve our differences without going to war.
0: Solid words, no doubt. So now that we're um, approaching the end, we want to give you the final words. So knowing that leaders and decision makers in the energy and utility space are hanging on to every last word you're sharing with us, what's the final message you hope to convey to them?
1: I'll say this. We all know now, it's 2022, we all know about the potential of clean energy resources of solar and and wind and demand flexibility and demand-side management and efficiency. We all know that. The final word is the most important thing is they are now being taken to another level. They are being able to be scaled up. Coordinated and serve in an aggregated, controllable pattern that they're just as good, if not better, as any other utility resource. So we're past the time where they're a sideshow. Going forward, they can be and they need to be the main show. And we look forward at the U.S. Department of Energy working with any and everybody who shares our vision for that kind of future for this country.
0: David, this has been a great conversation, and I know that our Energy Central community are, are really going to be inspired by your words, and this is just a thrill having you on and, and hearing what you had to share with us. So we want to thank you for this fascinating discussion and insight that you brought with us today.
1: Thanks, and thanks for all the work you guys do. And people like me, civil servants, we spend a lot of our time speaking truth to power. So we need people like you who are who are getting truths out there in the world. So it's important in, a, in our society.
0: Well, thank you again. We appreciate that. And you can always reach David through the Energy Central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. And we want to give a quick shout out of thanks to the podcast sponsor that made today's episode possible. Thanks to West Monroe. West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric, gas, and water utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility, operations, and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, data analytics, and cybersecurity. And once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. So stay plugged in and fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com, and we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast.